Hello, and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Um, in this episode, I will be looking at a few of, in fact, three uh, specific essays that Lovecraft wrote uh, as an amateur journalist regarding temperance and alcohol. So we have already looked at uh, one short story uh, called Old Bugs, and it's a good introduction to Lovecraft's views on temperance. It was written for a friend, you know, who was telling him he's going to, wants to have a drink when he, I think, comes of age or something before prohibition is implemented. And Lovecraft wrote this story, set to 1950 in Chicago, which is a really interesting look at, at kind of Lovecraft's view of the city, of alcohol, and it deals with some of Lovecraftian themes of, of, of decline and, you know, heritage and ancestry and all that. So it's a fun little story. You know, I don't think it's commonly read. It's not in the major anthologies of Lovecraft's writing, but the complete anthology should have it. Um, but anyways, you know, drink doesn't show up that much in Lovecraft's stories. I mean, Lovecraftian heroes don't drink. Uh, Lovecraft himself didn't drink, but, and it wasn't just that he was a teetotaler. He actually had some pretty um, clearly stated views on on alcohol and why they're more or less why alcohol is more or less bad for civilization. The historical context for this is obvious. Um, this was in the middle of the Progressive Era, which was the second great reform era in American history. The first being in 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, and the second, the early 20th century. The first was dealing, both in a way, dealt with growing urbanization and industrialization and the, the changes that had on American culture. They also were both eras of immigration and of new, new types of migrations, which brought it with them. These migrants brought with them new habits about drink, new uh, or new, especially when they consolidated in cities, a new consciousness about the effects of drink on um, American culture. Of course, it wasn't just immigrants. I remember a few years ago they dug up when Washington, like Washington's retirement party and just the bar bill. They actually have this record, the bar bill from Washington's retirement party. And, you know, even though it was a small gathering, they drunk enormous amounts of liquor. Uh, there's a whole book about this by a historian. I forget his name. It's called The Alcoholic Republic, which focuses on just the vast amount of drink that Americans engaged in. But uh, with urbanization, you started getting more consciousness about and more visuality about the problem of drink. So the first reform era dealt with a lot of things, of course, slavery, uh, sailors' rights, prostitution, you know, urban poverty. A lot of great scholarship on that reform era tied to the Second Great Awakening. That uh, also had, you know, temperance was a big part of that reform movement. It actually succeeded in reducing the amount of drink that the typical American consumed in a, in a year. The second great wave of, of temperance thought came in the progressive era, which was also responding to urban issues, urban problems, the growing size of cities, and all of that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's another reform era. And again, we see prohibition being one of the main agendas of that. The difference, of course, is that in this era, prohibition succeeded in becoming national law. They changed the Constitution to forbid the sale, sale and consumption, or maybe it was just the sale, but it may have been the sale and the consumption of alcohol. And that would remain the law of the land for, for 12, 13 years until FDR's 
um, presidency in which he oversaw the repeal of the Prohibition Amendment. So these articles were written before Prohibition was enacted, but um, you know, at a time when the, there was a national discussion about alcohol and its impact on American life. So uh, not a whole lot to say in this episode, but I thought it was worthy of just highlighting Lovecraft's temperance views as it reflected on some of his amateur journalism. I think these may have been written in, yeah, these were, there's references to the conservative in at least two of these. So I think um, that is where they were published, which was the amateur conservative uh, newspaper that Lovecraft was writing for. <clears throat> so the first of these uh, was published in 1915. It's called Liquor and Its Friends. And this, I may have mentioned in the old bugs episode. So uh, Liquor and Its Friends is about... Um, the use of alcohol in official state functions, state dinners. And he mentions here, he doesn't like too much William Jennings Bryan, a Democrat, Democratic Secretary of State, but he does mention he applauds uh, Robert Lansing. He calls him Prime Minister of the United States. So that doesn't make much sense, but um, he was Secretary of State, but... Lovecraft's calling him prime minister. I think this is, again, his just really odious uh, kind of use of British titles, maybe, or his Anglophilia. But it doesn't even make much sense because um, it would be foreign minister. The Secretary of State's equivalent to a foreign minister, not a prime minister. The prime minister would be closer to, like, in the United States case, like, some part of the duties of the president would combine with the duties of the speaker of the house. Maybe that would, if there was a prime minister, it'd be, it's kind of, those roles are sort of split up. Um, so Lovecraft here is, is condemning Robert Lansing for bringing back alcohol to state dinners. Apparently William Jennings Bryan had gotten rid of those. He would have been more likely to have been a teetotaler being a kind of a Southern Democrat. Um, and he actually, rants a little bit about William Jennings Bryan's failures as Secretary of State. He says, uh, he was an honest man bent on the victory of what he deemed right and bowing before no vicious custom, however long established in good society. Bryan, with the same will that made our administration ridiculous in its foreign policy, made it glorious in its freedom from vicious intemperance. His abolition of wine from tables of state was the first step towards giving the American people a high governmental example of decency. What all decent men had preached for nearly a century, he and he alone established where all might view it in exalted practice, end quote. Now, he's, he's obviously, I think, overstating the importance of state dinners here, but I guess they do provide kind of a bit of a symbolic role for the way the United States would be projected abroad to, to others. Now, there's even a term here that Lovecraft sort of condemns uh, being in use called grape, um, grape juice diplomacy. He prefers the term temperance, but grape juice diplomacy being this this kind of uh, use of temperance at, at state um, gatherings. Now, he constantly has to remind his reader that Lansing is way intellectually superior to Brian, that Brian's horrible. But in being an advocate of temperance and portraying this kind of leadership from the State Department, this is a good thing. He writes, if the United States government really desires order and virtue among its inhabitants, it will promptly require that the most noxious evil of human life will not be publicly sanctioned and flaunted in the very shadow of the Capitol Dome or within the White House itself. True reformation, contrary to the general idea, begins at the top and works downwards as if through gravity. 
So um, obviously Lovecraft has sort of an elitist view at times. It's portrayed here. He doesn't really believe in bottom-up positive social change. He doesn't believe in bottom-up negative social change, whether it's immigration or, you know, working-class cults, uh, working-class networks of knowledge, all the things we've already sort of talked about. Um, but he has this idea that, you know, there should be this model that then trickles down, right? I don't know if there's much evidence that this this works. I, I suppose someone could point up efforts where kind of government-led moral reform efforts have been successful in certain societies. I'm not sure how successful they've been in democratic societies. Uh, it seems to me that the temperance movement was a bottom-up thing. It was churches and social movements working at the local level, state level, and then eventually gets taken up by the federal level. That's true of many progressive era policies, in fact. So anyways, that's basically the, the essay. He, he, he gives a story here of a guy named E.J. Gray, one of Lansing's quote-unquote fellow drinkers, who kind of made a fuss uh, during a temperance um, speech. Probably, alcohol, you know, having consumed alcohol, he, he interrupted this temperance speech in a very improper way. And uh, he concludes here, um, while the vulgar gray incident may outwardly seem quite different from the conservative decision of Secretary and Mrs. Robert Lansing to serve um, wine at all of their diplomatic banquets, the same bestial demon lurks equally behind both. Uh, in each, there is a conscious disregard for the natural law and moral rectitude and hideous disregard, which will wreck civilization. So that's uh, liquor and its friends. So Lansing being a friend of, of liquor. Now, the next one also published in 1915 is called More Chain Lightning. And this is an interesting article because it kind of goes into the economic power behind the, the alcohol lobby or whatever. Now, th this I don't know that much about historically. You know, how much was the resistance to the temperance movement or, or prohibition led by these brewers? I'm sure St. Louis and, and Milwaukee, you know, were, were, were those industries had a lot of capital behind them and were interested in keeping the sale of alcohol legal. So I just assume that's the case. But Lovecraft here actually talks about it in the, in the form of advertising. So he mentions um, Mr. Andrew Francis Lockmore of Millbank. And he has a magazine called Chain Lightning. And he's being praised by Lovecraft for being an advocate of reform and temperance. Um, actually having, quote, succeeded in ridding the city of Millbank of its licensed saloons and in securing the conviction of illicit retailers and resort proprietors. Um, so he's praising him, but he says that there's a problem here, and that is Chain Lightning, this journal that he seems to be behind, um, another amateur paper, uh, kind of gets exposes part of the problem in the, or how deep and how, how invested alcohol is in American society, and Here's what he writes. Um, Chief among these hitherto neglected phrases is one for which the professional press is largely to blame and which therefore the amateur press can oppose with its particularly poetic justice. The advertising of beer and whiskey and especially the disgusting insidious type of advertising which deliberately seeks to create false moral sentiment in favor of drink and at the same time placing prohibitionists in the light of tyrannical meddlers. So um, 
he's calling for amateur journalism to liberate itself from all advertising of, of alcohol. And he's suggesting here that Chain Lightning hasn't hasn't done this fully and that that the conservative and the journals that Lovecraft support should. All right. Well, he's not he's not criticizing them so much for accepting advertising by alcohol. He's just saying they're not doing enough talk about the issue of, of advertising. Um, but then he goes into a lot of detail here about uh, he's focused on St. Louis, the quote beer brewing corporation of St. Louis. Um, Budweiser, I guess, Anheuser Busch, whatever it was at the time. Um, and he's been he talks about how they've been pushing advertisement. Now, this was a time when they were, during the progressive era when there was a lot of investment in corporate imagery. And there's a great book about this called Creating the Corporate Soul. And it actually traces how advertising from the late 19th century up through and after World War II in the United States didn't just try to sell products, but tried to sell a, an image of the corporation as an American institution, as something tied to liberty. And it did these kind of advertisement pushes in times when the corporation was under the most criticism and threat in, in American life, like the progressive era, when there was a lot of anti-corporate thinking, you had a lot of radical movements. And then, of course, during the Great Depression, when capitalism was being discredited by the economic crisis of the time. And that's the same time you got a lot of advertisers trying to say, well, GE or Coca-Cola or whatever. It's really about family. We're really about American ideals. We're about freedom, whatever. This is a really, really great book. And it's beautiful. It's, it's most, you know, much of the bulk of that book are just images that the author had, had collected. Marshland, I think, is the name of the author. Um, so Lovecraft here notices just how much spending um, the, the beer brewers of St. Louis are investing in advertising. And he thinks that this is a problem we really need to talk about. And why? Well, it's because this advertising is arguing against temperance on certain American values. And these particularly are things like personal liberty, the rights of man, um, and other phrases that basically suggests, you know, people have an American right to consume what they want to consume. And so this is a way that alcohol sellers could rebrand themselves, not as causers of trouble, but actually advocates for American ideals. So uh, Lovecraft here tries to actually rewrite the history of the, of the founders in a way. So there's this, apparently there's a, So there's a series of biographies of eminent American statesmen, um, quote, who had lived before science had demonstrated the overwhelming deleterious properties of alcoholic beverages, and therefore before the moral necessity of total abstinence was emphasized. After justly lauding the virtues of each statesman, the scheming biographer mentions the fact, of course, inevitable on account of the early period, that the subject of the essay was a moderate drinker of liquor, and now departing utterly from reasonable probability asserts that if the great man were living today, he would be opposed to prohibition, end quote. So apparently this series of biographies in these advertisements was pushing um, this rewriting of, in Lovecraft's view, kind of a rewriting of the founders as advocates of, or opponents of temperance and prohibition. Now, the reality is these people did drink, right? Now, Lovecraft says, well, if they knew what we know, if they knew the science, obviously they'd be on our side. You know, I don't know about that. That seems kind of dubious to me, but that's what Lovecraft claims. 
Um, so he says, uh, he adds here to the real heart of the matter, which is the try attempt to associate alcohol with liberty. He says, as to the personal liberty rights a man and other popular phrases similarly misused, there are few indeed who can fail to perceive that the liberty and right of a man to voluntarily transform himself into a beast and in that end to degrade himself and his descendants permanently in a scale of evolution is equivalent to this liberty and right to rob and murder at will, end quote. So a few important things there. One is obviously he's seen um, alcohol as something that becomes hereditary, alcohol abuse. And, you know, there may be some evidence for that, but um, it, I don't think it quite works the way Lovecraft sees it here. He's got almost a Lamarckian view of how, like, if someone drinks, they're going to pass on that predisposition to drink to their their next generation uh, but anyways he believes in this he believes that like in the sins of the father kind of idea and it comes forth in this essay um, he says that this is to, to say it's a right to drink is to is to say one has a right to moderate larceny or moderate manslaughter moderate drinking is equivalent to moderate larceny or moderate manslaughter there's no human middle course in drinking due to human nature so he doesn't have a very positive view of human nature in his total rejection of the possibility of of a uh, moderate drinking or or functional alcoholism or whatever uh, we might want to call it today. So his conclusion in this little essay is again praising Mr. Lockhart for chain lightning in that journal, and then saying that us temperance people need to do more to combat in the press the the influence of of advertisers who are trying to promote a different interpretation of, of temperance. So the third and final essay I want to look at today, not really essay, article, column, was published in 1917. It's called A Remarkable Document. And this is basically a review of another article by a man named Mr. Booth Tarkington called Nipskillians. And this, uh, it was printed in the American Magazine and the National Enquirer. So this essay apparently basically tells the story of of a friend of Mr. Tarkington who escaped the clutches of drink and then became an advocate for temperance himself. Um, so he, he basically Lovecraft here is just quoting Tarkington. So there's nothing really original in here. It's just Lovecraft is saying this is essay exists and here's what it said. Um, but to quote Lovecraft, the prime incentive to drink is a desire for a greater degree of enjoyment and relaxation than is comparable with a normal mental and physical condition. In other words, human creatures long atavistically for the levity of an inferior state and wish to throw off artificially the burden of dignity with which evolution from the simian ape has invested him. End quote. I, I think I, I remember talking about this in the, the old bugs episode because my understanding based on what anthropologists I've, I've looked at on this and other scientists is they argue that essentially alcohol is is evolutionarily novel. It's a sign of civilization. Of course, it required agriculture. It required a division of labor. It usually required markets. It's um, a product of us becoming civilized and urban. And some have even argued that, you know, agriculture itself was promoted largely due to the, that it created a steady supply of, of the crops that were needed for, for brewing beer or wine or whatever. And we can think of the importance of, of different alcohol in different civilizations over, over time. Um, even the Mongols didn't, they brew some kind of milk, horse milk based, you know, kind of alcohol. I'm, I'm sure they did. Um, so Lovecraft here, by saying that 
or he's I guess he's quoting Tarkington here, but to say that somehow alcohol brings us to kind of a reduced state in our evolution, brings us back to some kind of ape time, um, times when we were just um, um, like like pre-human hominids or something, is kind of getting it wrong. It's actually something that's really created only by um, Homo sapiens. And and unless someone there can show evidence that Neanderthals or Homo erectus brew beer, um, I'm going to stand by this as an evolutionary novel invention that's tied more with civilization than with the kind of barbarism that he's embracing here. Um, but the interesting thing here is he does sort of see drink as a kind of a response to a kind of a world weariness, kind of his desire to escape, a, a push for excessive relaxation. Uh, he says, not, on, not, not that the ordinary forces of temperance reform should be less active, but we should be less Spartan and Puritan in our worship of duty at the expense of legitimate pleasure. End quote. And he's saying this because if we're too strict, too Spartan, as he puts it, then that's not going to be attractive to people. So temperance advocates are going to have to still accept this desire, this push for pleasure. Quote, it behooves a reformer to appear in a less forbidding guise and to prefer grace to austerity in prosecuting his endeavor. Drink we know is abnormal, but if we are to banish this abnormality, we must likewise banish the equal abnormality of excessive mental sabbatarianism. Um, virtue itself offends, said the old writer, when coupled with forbidding manners. So um, when I read this, reread this just now, I was thinking of Jack London's John Barleycorn again, which I did an episode on quite a while ago. And that book talks about drink in a lot of detail. Jack London, it's like Jack London's own alcoholic biography, autobiography. Um, and he talks about his work life, how he got introduced to drink and, and all that. And yeah, there's a lot of suggestion in there that he's just sort of justifying his alcoholism. But nevertheless, I think he, he has this very interesting philosophical discussion about different people who drink for different reasons. Right? There's those who, those who drink to get drunk, those who get drunk in the body, he calls them, and those who get drunk in the mind. And he thinks the people who get drunk in the mind, which he puts himself in that category, are responding to a world that is kind of indifferent and meaningless, something I think Lovecraft would agree with. But they're doing so, but the alternative way of doing that is like religion. And there's a scene in John Barleycorn where Lovecraft talks about the drinker watching all the happy people walk by, you know, going to church or whatever, or wearing their Sunday dresses. And the how baffled the drinker is, the drinker like him anyways, at seeing people embrace the meaninglessness of life, being towards death in such a superficial way. And it's not to say that drink is a better way to do it, but both are trying to find some sort of um, escape from the banality of existence and its meaninglessness. And, you know, I think there's a little hint of that here. I'm, I'm pretty sure Lovecraft didn't read John Barleycorn, but um, there's would have been interesting ground for comparison between these two works if anyone wanted to dig into it. So anyways, ah, uh, I went on a longer than I thought I went on, on Lovecraft's view on temperance because I think they're pretty straightforward. Um, but... Um, that's really all I have to say about it. So in the next episode, I will pick a selection of his poetry from some of his early poetry. And then I'll do two episodes on that. Um, just picking and choosing from his early poetry, stuff he wrote before 1920 or 1921. 
Um, and then I'll have one more quick episode where I'll kind of wrap up some of this Lovecraft nonfiction writings from the um, World War One era on the, on the theme of race. And then we're going to get right back into the stories. So um, that's it for now. So what do you think of Lovecraft Temperance views? Um, what do you think of these articles? Uh, check them out. They're easy to find online if you'd like to, to read them. So um, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. That will be it for now. I will see you next time.